You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. We're going to get started with uh, our TMT. For those of you who don't know what a TMT is, it's a two-minute training. Uh, we, we call them teachings, testimonies, and we haven't come up with a third T. We really need a, 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 ter- a third T because it's, it's actually missions reports, so we've called it travels. But uh, <laughs> teachings, trainings, and travels. And um, today we have a special TMT from Kara DeHaan. She's going to come up and share a word with, with us um, that was shared at the table. And Pastor Bill and I were just really impacted by this. And we said, that's not just a word that God gave Kara, but we believe that he gave that to her for the whole of the church. So Kara, thank you for coming. All right. Good morning, friends. Um, In my Bible reading, I came to Nehemiah chapter 4, okay? And two things in this passage. Um, The city of Jerusalem had its walls destroyed, and they were in the process of rebuilding. Um, One. Number two, um, several of the nations that surrounded them were in the process of trying to destroy the walls that the Israelites were trying to rebuild, okay? So Nehemiah chapter 4, I'm going to read verse um, 18... Through 21. And each of the builders, okay, so these are the Israelite builders, had their swords strapped to his side while he built. And the man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us here, and our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work. And half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. So we just finished this section on what makes a pretty decent church, right? And our job is to be disciples. We're building in all of these different spaces. We're building relationships, hopefully, in our workplace and at the gym and at the schools our kids go to and in our neighborhoods and communities. But they are far spread out. So we are often not connected as we're working on this building. But not only are we spread out, at the same time, attacks are coming. And we're not to be surprised at that, because the devil does not want to see these things be rebuilt. But that's where the trumpet comes in. And our family personally experienced so many trumpets over the last couple of weeks. I know many people have gone through darkness and deep valleys and attacks, but as the people of God, while we're building, we trumpet to one another, help, help over here on this part of the wall because Amen. we're stuck right now or we are feeling depressed or we feel like there is no hope. And that's when the people of God come together with their swords and fight. So lest we think that these two things cannot go on at the same time, and we would be fools. So A, we keep building, and B, we trumpet and fight. So let me encourage you to do all of those things and praise God who has put it on so many of your hearts to be the ones who encourage when someone trumpets. Amen. Amen. So good. Wasn't that good? So if you have a testimony or if, if God gives you a word uh, in the scriptures and you say, hey, I'd like to share that with the church, please just come and talk to us. That's what we want this moment to be. Uh, and it's so awesome when the whole body can be built up and encouraged through what God is doing in us individually as well. Uh, we're going to dive into our text today. We are focused on the gospel. This is sort of like, I love to think of this text as like, um, you, you know, just sort of our banner text. Like, 
we're kind of like a band with one song, and we just play it louder and louder, and it is the gospel, right? And this is what Paul says, right, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. This is God's word. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. As Kara alluded to, we're kind of finishing up a series here uh, entitled The Pretty Decent Church. Um, and it's been, it's been a really good series for us, a defining series for us. Uh, it's been impacting for all of us. Uh, obviously realizing just simply that, hey, we're not trying to be it. We're not trying to be the best. We're not trying to be the biggest. We're, we are not trying to build a kingdom of our own. We just want to be decent enough that God will get glory in all that we do. All right, And so trying to create that kind of humility amongst the body and know that as we grow and as we expand, we are going to give God glory, but we're not going to get the big head. We're going to get over ourselves and really embrace God in all of this and, and, uh, and raise up the name of Jesus. That's a really good thing for us. But even through all of this, uh, there have been a number of, of markers for several of you where you're like, wow, God just really got a hold of my heart in that particular message in a really profound way. Uh, and it was very transformative. Well, praise the Lord for that as well uh, in all that, that God has been doing in this series. And today is sort of like the, uh, the icing on the cake, so to speak. This is coming back to what is like the essential of the essential, the, the first of the first, the biggest of the big, the best of the best. And that is to say that if we're going to be a pretty decent church, we are definitely going to be centered on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to talk a little bit about that. Now, I'm also excited about some of the things that are going to happen while we're doing that and just, just kind of the things that are going on around Life Church. And um, for some of you, you may not know, I, I, I may give it away as I, as I talk today, but I'm a Southerner. Uh, by birth, all right? Uh, a lot of you won't, you won't catch that. Um, but uh, but that, is, that is where I'm from. I hail from Georgia, all right? But while I was there many, many, many years ago, uh, I had an ambition, and my ambition was to grow up and be a graphic design artist. So I was going to paint, uh, draw, sketch, all those kinds of things. I was going to do it in such a way to make a lot of money. I was going to live a fast life, uh, a young life, and uh, die, and it would all be over. Um, and then in the midst of all of that, going to art school and such, God got a hold of me and uh, literally transformed my life and gave me a future, a future that I could see beyond the, the momentary. But in doing that, all that was associated with the past life had to be laid down for a season, and that included the gift of being an artist. Um, but I very much uh, looked forward to the day when that would be sort of like renewed and redeemed in my own life. Uh, and one way that God is doing that in this season is not so much that I am getting back into the world of art, although I have a huge canvas in my office at the house and it's sitting there in some paint, and so I'm trying to get back into it, and I'm excited about doing that. But I am excited that inside of the context of the church, the arts are flourishing, and we're seeing God do wonderful things, and God has brought a number of artists, and not just painters, uh, but, but in, in a variety of ways, artists into Life Church 
to proclaim the gospel in a variety of different ways. Uh, and so you get to see some of that today. Um, Jeannie is our resident artist. Like she's, she's like the, the one, you know, she's been here forever. And uh, she will always be here. And uh, she does, she expresses herself in so many different ways. But honestly, man, she did it on that backdrop today, didn't she? I mean, that is, that is so cool. Uh, yeah. So when you see her, uh, when she comes out of the back, back there with the kids, and you see her, let her know how much you appreciate her work. I ask her for just a simple little map that would be big behind us. Uh, and as you know, Jeannie does nothing simple, you know, and so this is, this is what we got last night when I came into the church, it was all hung and ready to go, and, and she did such, such a great job, but we want, it, we want this to give us kind of a feel, an atmosphere, a culture of going forward, of being a, a very multicultural, multi-ethnic church that really does want to reach beyond where we are, beyond our neighborhood and into the world, and so that's great. But also today, um, I've asked someone to uh, come up and, and paint while I'm preaching to you today. So today is paint and preach day, all right? And so John Warden, would you please come up and join me up front? And uh, John's just going to bless you with some of his skill and some of his uh, gifts today uh, as we talk about the gospel. So let's just, uh, without any further uh, talk on my part, let's get about those things. Let's get into the, the sermon today. Um, I'm really... I, I think this, is, this sermon um, made me quite nervous. This, this sermon made me quite heavy, and not because it's a heavy message or a heavy uh, subject. It's really it's, it's because it's the, it's the subject. Like, there's nothing else. Like, that, we can't go anywhere else. We can't, we can't find anything else. We can't pull up anything else. This is it, all right? So it's like, oh my goodness, I have to bring to you like the ultimate focus of all that we are as a church, and it has to land right here today, and it has to be in the same amount of time that John paints this beautiful picture, and I am stressed to the max this morning, okay? <laughs> so, so this should be great, all right? So let's just jump into it, and let's see, see what God and the Holy Spirit does here with us today. I hear people all the time talk about what kind of church they're looking for, all right? Um, and people have ideas about what that is. You know, what, what is the kind of church that you've been looking for, you know? And in a, a city like Sioux Falls, you can shop around. As, as weird as that sounds, you can, because people do. And honestly, if, if I, I wouldn't name anyone, but I know a number of people in the city of Sioux Falls. I call them the migratory flock of spiritual geese because... They just go from one little church to the next big church to the next medium-sized church to this church to that church, and all they do is follow a, a, a trend. They're just looking for the next thing, the next big wave, the next whatever uh, that's going on, and that's where they go. And they never settle. They never plug in. They never build strong, uh, long-term relationships with people. They never support a local church. Uh, they're just going. They're just moving about. And that, I think that's such a, a dangerous thing to do. But they're always looking for the church that can give them something. And so we have this consumeristic kind of thing going all, on all the time. But I think there's a different question that needs to be asked, and I think we have to ask it as well, and that is, what kind of church is God looking for? 
And honestly, our answers have been this series. All right? God is looking for a church that, that values the kind of things that we've been preaching to you about in this particular series. And all of those things that we've been preaching about, they are informed by one particular thing, and that is the gospel. Not current trends and, and not put political agendas and, and not personal preferences and all these kinds of things, but it is the gospel. And so I'm not going to try to solve all the problems in my preaching. I'm going to try to preach the gospel to you because the gospel is your answer regardless of what kind of problems you may be encountering in your life. And so we want to start today with this passage that Pastor Dave read to you. I'm going to, I'm going to say three things to you today, hopefully, uh, and when we get through them. And the first one is, what is the most important thing? And I think Paul addresses that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 here, all right? I think in all the testimonies we've heard and all the things that have been preached in Life Church, I hope that this is, this is what we're hearing is, is, is that, that there is no misunderstanding the fact that we treasure, we value the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the thing I want you to understand is that you and I can be just as much in bondage, just as trapped, if you will, just as helpless, just as lonely, just as, as, as whether we're religious or irreligious, we can be so bound up as the person who's never heard the gospel, even though we've heard the gospel because we misunderstand the gospel. So we, we go into here and we hear Paul talk and Paul says, hey, I need to remind you of something. Now, he's already over in what we call chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, this long letter to the church at Corinth. He's, over, he's, he's a ways over in here and has covered a whole lot of territory when he gets to chapter 15. But he says here, hey, hey, I need to remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, all right? So, so right out of the, the gate here in, in chapter 15, he's, he's just jumping in there with this, and he's reminding who? Christians. This isn't a letter to the unbelievers. This isn't an, an evangelistic uh, billboard out there for the lost. He's saying, hey, people of God, Christians, I need to remind you of something, and that's the gospel, all right? And he does this almost habitually through all of his letters, all right? It, it, it's this belief of the Apostle Paul that Christians need the gospel just as much as unbelievers need it that informs who we are as a church. We live out of the gospel, all right? And, 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 and you'll, you'll see here, as, as we go along here, hopefully, what I'm talking about, all right? He says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, which you stand in, and by which you are being saved. You received it, past tense. You're standing in it, present tense. And you are being saved, future tense. This gospel doesn't lose its emphasis in your life at any given point in time. From the day you are born again until the day that you die in this earth realm, the gospel is important to you and should be utmost number one in terms of de defining you 
and determining the choices you make and how you live. So, he says, what, what are you asked? He says, what, what was the word preached? I mean, Paul is, Paul is trying to get them to ask questions here. He's trying to get them to think here. What, what was preached? And he answers that, and he says, I preached. This is what, he uses the term delivered. This is what I delivered to you, all right? I, I preached to you. I was, I was the, the, the representative. I was the ambassador. I came with this. And so I delivered to you, all right? That, that is our first importance, which I received. In other words, above everything else, I could say a very educated, a very learned, a very intelligent, a very wonderfully bright, passionate man Paul was. But he's saying here, here is the first of importance, the most important thing here, and that is this, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with scriptures, and that he appeared. This is the most important thing. And so we can talk about all kinds of things. We can, we can point out what we think Paul means here and there and, and everywhere, but Paul is saying that the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection is just as needed for the man and woman who has been saved 20 years as it is for the person who needs to hear it and is lost. So there's never a point in time when the gospel is not applicable to you and powerful to you and transformative to you. And so this is why we remind you over and over and over again. We come back to it every single Sunday. We mention it. We emphasize it. We focus on it. We remind you of it. We, we bring it in, in all, a whole variety of ways and through a whole lot of different people because it's that important. It's absolutely essential because this is where Paul starts and this is where Paul finishes the story, if you will, all right? And so he goes on in this particular passage to talk about other people that saw Jesus as well. And he even brings out the point that he saw Jesus uh, himself as one born out of season, if you will. All right. And, and that, the importance of that is that there are people who saw Jesus after he was resurrected and they verified this truth and this reality that Jesus did indeed rise from the dead. All right. We hold to that. That is, that is in our heart. All right. Now, I'll ask you this question. As you stand, or as you even sit here today, all right, uh, is anyone here perfect? <laughs> Thank you. No, no, we've not reached that perfection yet, okay? But here's the thing. Even though you've not reached perfection as you stand, you are standing right before God if you are a Christian. Now, why is that? Only because of Jesus, Jesus is not only your identity, Jesus is your position. You stand in Christ, all right? And so you have that identity. So not only were you saved, and not only are you standing now in that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, but your life is continually being saved through this gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because you could never save yourself. But here's what I want you to understand. You don't have to keep your salvation, and you don't have to try to resave yourself. 
And this is the problem for a lot of us who come out of performance-oriented situations or other kinds of things, is that we know that Jesus did the work, but somehow in our own sort of skewed view of ourselves, we can't really see that work fully and completely taking care of us. And so we are constantly trying to figure out how we can guarantee it. And Paul's saying, you can't do that. That's not the gospel. And we're going to talk in, in a minute here about some things that the gospel is not. All right. But, but Paul is saying, you need, you need to listen. You received it. You're standing in it. And it will constantly be the work of saving you as you go forward. In other words, you can lean on the gospel. You don't have to lean on self-help. You don't have to lean on these other things, these, these ideas, these, these, these formulas that people are trying to preach to you and, and write to you about. You can stand on this one reality. So what Paul is really saying here is he's saying, Hey, everybody, don't forget the cross. Don't forget the cross. <laughs> Yep. Don't forget the cross. That's where it's at. It is in the resurrected Christ that you have your identity. And you can rest there, all right? And you don't, you don't have to, to stay in, in these places of doubt and fear. Uh, you don't have to try to find other ways to, to, to uh, sedate yourself or make yourself feel better about where you are. Because Christ has done the work, and it's a completed work on the cross. And so you can live in that work and find your rest and your peace there. You say, but I don't, I don't always feel like I can, I'm, I'm there. I don't always feel like I'm pleasing to the Lord. Well, you're not. All right, just, just realize that. One pastor in a sermon referred to a lady, then, and she got baptized, and her... They asked her if she wanted to give a little testimony, and she said yes. And she, she stood up there in, 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 the, in, the, in the baptistry in the water, and she's standing there in her robe and getting ready to be baptized. And she goes, you know, I, for a long time, I just looked at the church and thought, I will never go to a church. There's just too many hypocrites in the church. How many times have you heard someone say something like that? You know, it's, it's such a bad excuse to not to go to church. If... I mean, you and I hopefully are not in here every day going, leaning over to each other and going, you know, everybody out there is a hypocrite, but I thank God I'm not one in here. No, we're in here going, I'm going, I mean, I walk in the office and go, David, I am such a sinner. What, you know, what can I do? You know, I feel, I feel dirty sometimes. I feel wretched sometimes. I feel doubtful sometimes. I feel broken sometimes. I mean, we, we're all going through these things, and there's some intrinsic kind of hypocrisy maybe that is there because we feel that. And some of that is our own doing. Some of that is the enemy. And some of that is just life. You can't clean yourself up. You, you can't put yourself back together. You can't be made whole by your own ingenuity. Only Jesus can do that. And it's in him because he's done the work. And so we have to find ways of, of resting in him, of, of, of staying in him, if you will. And so that's the only place that we can go, all right? We, we can't go anywhere else, all right? Let me take you into Galatians for uh, a, a few minutes here, and let's talk there, all right? Um, Galatians chapter 1. 
Because the, the first thing I, w- I want you to understand is that it's, it's the gospel and, and nothing else. And the second thing I want you to understand is that when you do look at the something else, when you consider the something else, that is a dangerous place for you to live as a believer. All right? Look at verse 6 of chapter 1 in Galatians. I'm astonished, Paul says. I'm just shocked. I'm, I'm amazed. All right? I'm astonished that you are so quickly, so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. All right? Paul can't believe this. Why, why in the world would you do this? But then he, he goes on a little bit here, and, and he says, not that there is another one, <laughs> but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is every other kind of option out there in this world. And there are so many, even well-meaning people, who would want you to bank on something other than Jesus Christ. And here's what's so problematic in the church, is that you and I, even though we know the truth, and even though we, we, we claim and declare that we are resting in Christ and that our identity is in Jesus Christ, we are very quickly to go after something else to try to save us, to try to anchor us, to try to give us a a bolstering to our confidence or or try to take away some kind of shame or some kind of guilt or feelings of condemnation, those kinds of things. Folks, you and I, Paul is saying, hey, live in the truth. Live in what is first and foremost, and that is a gospel-centered mindset a gospel-centered position, and that is that Christ has done for you what you could not do for yourself. Therefore, you don't have to try to do it. And that's where the rest comes in. That's where the peace comes in, if you will. That's why in Life Church, we're going to always, David and I always ask you to help us. Help us to preach the gospel. Help us to stay centered. Help us to stay focused, if you will, on on the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, I have choices. I could stand up here and I could preach gospel-centered preaching, which I hope is what I'm doing today, or I could preach preach politics-centered preaching. All right? Um, What I I mean by that, let's let's say um, I could come in here uh, maybe let's say I could have, I could have come in here in December and, and I could have preached a, a, a really impassioned message. I could have uh, titled it uh, The Battle for Christmas. Um, and it would be a message about the controversy over people not wanting us to say Merry Christmas. All right. Um, and I could I could probably stand up inside of that message and say, this is a message where I want you to stand up and and uh, and take back America. But the implications of that kind of preaching is that the change that is necessary is going to take place through some kind of political process. The gospel may still have a place in that kind of a message, but it's been, it's been relegated over. It becomes like some final remarks, all right, and maybe an invitation or something like that. All right, but, but in no way is that kind of message centered 
on the, the, the twin truths of God's death and resurrection. And so when someone comes up behind me today and, and gives you the gospel, I don't want that person to feel like that they've been thrown in the political arena over there and they got to find their way through that to get back to the gospel. I could preach you messages that are advice-centered, all right? We do this some. Like we, we, we tag it on. We add it to. You know, we, talk, we, we want you to know how to manage your finances. We want you to know how to da- uh, cut down your stress level at, at work and, and at home. We want, to know, we want you to know how to be good parents and all of that, all right? And, and, and when we preach those kind of messages, if we focus on that, then we can give you sort of um, the news about Jesus. You know, well, he, he died and he was resurrected. But the main focus in doing those kind of messages is that we're focusing on how to just improve your life. We're giving you formulas. We've actually done what Paul warns us about. We've moved away from the centrality of the gospel, and we're giving you all of these things, these strategies, these formulas, these other ways, if you will, of feeling better about yourself and and growing. And, And what we actually do is we disconnect you from the transformation of the gospel when we do that kind of stuff. Now, don't misunderstand. I think there are some wonderful ways for us to help you to know how to help yourself and and to be better. There's some wonderful skills to learn. There's some wonderful ways to develop so that you're doing good things and you're flourishing and you're prospering, but not at the expense or the cost of the gospel. All right? And this is, this is human nature, to step around the cross and use any other like shortcut we can possibly find to make us feel a little bit better. And if we can just feel a little bit better, we're sedated in that good feeling, and we never let the full depth of the, the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus transform us and change us into the person that we need to be. And when that happens, then we have to go to another and another and another formula. We're always looking for that next fix, that next thing that will take care of us and make us what we think we ought to be, rather than looking to Jesus as the author and the perfecter of our faith and becoming more and more like him. You can even mess this up with evangelism or evangelistic type of preaching, all right? Gospel-centered preaching should be evangelistic, all right? We, we need to be driven by this revelation that as Christians, we need the gospel too. It's not just the lost that need to hear the gospel, though. And so as Christians, we need to be continually moving towards something that is deeper, all right? But that needs to be not something else deeper than the gospel, but it is that we are moving deeper in the gospel so that we can be fully what God intends us to be. And so we live out of his spirit leading and directing us. I'll talk about one more and then we'll move on. This one's important to me. I hear lots of sermons, and I've preached them as well, that are sort of like virtue-centered sermons. I love the Old Testament, and I love preaching about men and women in the Old Testament. You know, um, Dare to be a Daniel, you know. Fight the giants in your life like David did, you know. Build up your leadership skills like in Nehemiah, you know. These are all good, like, like uh, virtue-centered preachings, okay? But, but, but here's the point. Whether it's Nehemiah or, or whether it's David or whether it's, it's Rahab or Esther or whether it's Moses or whoever, these are types 
These move us towards seeing something that we don't see necessarily in that story until we understand the fullness of the gospel. And then we understand that, hey, that's about Jesus. Hey, that Jesus did that. Hey, Jesus is the fullness of that. And that's why we have the gospel project going on in the back right now with all of our little children. It's because every single story they read from Genesis to Revelation is going to say, that's about Jesus. And they're going to understand that from from beginning to end. And what that is going to do is that is going to establish in them a pattern of thinking and reflection so that not only is history going to point to Jesus, but everything that they see and are taught about the future should indeed point back to Jesus. And now they have a way, they have an approach, if you will, a context, if you will, to think about all that is going on in their lives. And you and I need to do that as well. It's absolutely essential. It's, it's re- really important. Okay. It's dangerous to go any other direction but the gospel. And Paul says, you know what? When somebody preaches another gospel, which really isn't a gospel because there's only one gospel, but when people do that, actually, they should be cursed. That's, that's how Paul sees it. Destroyed. Absolutely, utterly destroyed. That's how much value Paul places on the gospel and how much danger he places on anything other than the gospel for you. So you and I have to stay gospel-centered, all right? How do we do that? Well, in the book of Hebrews, there's a passage of Scripture, and I'm going to take you there. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to insert something here right now because I, want, I, I, just, I just want to do this. Um, Pastor Dave preached you a sermon uh, about Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He did that some time ago. Uh, he actually did that when I wasn't here. All right. Um, I happened to be gone that day, but I did happen to hear the sermon that he preached. And I would like to just address a couple of things in his introduction if I can. This is how Pastor Dave started his sermon to you on the day that I was not here. I'm not usually the pastor to talk to you about marathons. Who is this man to make reference of marathons? He only ran one, which he did confess in the introduction. But this is a man who every sermon that I've ever heard him preach with the exception of maybe one, I'm sure that I have heard about a lot of fishing. (laughs) Especially walleyes. And especially him doing the fishing. All right? So just wanted to bring that out, all right? The person that should be talking to you is Pastor Bill. And you know how he gets up here and speaks so glowingly of all the wonderful experiences he's had. Well... I'm here to tell you the truth. (laughs) What is that? (laughs) As if I don't tell you the truth. (laughs) We have a young, sassy little pastor who tells you the truth, and we have an old guy who lies to you. (laughs) What is this? It goes on. 
Well, I'm here to tell you the truth, to tell you what marathons are really like. And I would know, because I did one once. <laughs> if you would like to know what a marathon is really like, come and talk to me, because I have done 24 of them. Okay, just saying. All right, just saying. The very first marathon that Pastor Bill did, I talked him into doing. Thank you for taking credit <laughs> for, for my life and my decisions, all right? I really appreciate that you can feel comfortable doing that. Just so that you know, I was already registered and was already intending to run the London, England Marathon, which is one of the major marathons of the world. So that was already on the schedule. But he did convince me to run this marathon that he did honestly share with you was not great, all right? But he speaks of that day as being his first and last marathon. And he explains to you why. See, because I'm a quick learner. As if he learned something and I didn't. <laughs> I know most of you will agree with him, all right? But I'm just saying, okay? Yeah, there, there are a lot of you that have very good substantiated reasoning and logic and evidence and statistics and all those kinds of things that I probably, at 64 years of age, should not run another marathon. I, I, I understand that. All right. Okay. He says it was painful. He says they're not easy. They're hard. He says they're not exciting. They're boring. I feel like he's just telling you about your pastor, okay? <laughs> all right. He's not exciting. He's hard. He's boring. You know, he runs marathons. Okay, but me, you know, the associate pastor, the young guy, you know, I've, I'm smart. I've already got it. I've, le I've learned all this stuff. Okay, maybe it's true. He then says, perhaps the most notable thing I need to tell you about marathons is that many people don't even finish the race. And that's true. They train for months and sometimes even years, and they never even finish and that's why they have a finisher's award. And that's true. That's the truth about marathons, he says, and it is the truth. He wanted you to know that. And he wanted you to know that because he explained to you in a very wonderful and profound and beautiful way that the Bible often compares the Christian life to that kind of a race, a long, difficult, arduous, sometimes monotonous race that many people give up on. And he is so right. But that is so not what God desires for you and I. God's intent is that you finish well. God's intent is that you do everything you can to stay on the path. In, in that same book of Hebrews, there's a question posed in the letter. You are doing so well. You were running so well. Who cut in on you? In other words, you, you were going down the, the right path. You were running this race the way you were supposed to. Who cut in on you? Who, who knocked you off course? Who got you off the, the, the path that you needed to be on? Who convinced you that there was some other gospel? Who convinced you there was some other way or some other direction that you could go in? The writer of Hebrews says, we're surrounded. 
there's this great cloud of witnesses. And in that understanding, let us do some things. Let us lay aside every weight. Let us, let us take off or throw off or cast off all those little sins that cling so closely to us. And then let us run. How? With endurance. And that's what Pastor Dave really preached to you about in that, that really great message that he preached that I made reference to and made fun of. you got to stay on course, see? you got to stay on track. And if you are believing that there is any other answer but the gospel, you are subject to being knocked off course, knocked off the pathway, if you will, all right? But you and I need to lay down those things that we've been holding, those, those weights that we've been carrying that we're saying, oh, that might be something that will help me, that might will take care of me. And then notice what he says in verse 2. You run with endurance this race that is set before you, this life that God has given you to, to live out. Here's how you do that. And this is the last point. All right, what do we do with this? What's the application for us? Hebrews says you fix your eyes on Jesus. Regardless of where you are, regardless of what you are doing, regardless of the thoughts that are filtering through your mind, Regardless of the things you are called to do, in all of that you see Jesus. In all of that you experience a revelation of Jesus. He is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. In other words, he established your faith and he is continually working your faith into perfection. You are continually being saved. All right? And so... Because he is the founder, because he is the perfecter of our faith, and because he considered it pure joy to endure this cross for us and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. He endured the cross past death, and he is now sitting at the right hand of the Father present, and he is coming again, future. And so you and I live out of that reality. We live out of that truth that Jesus Christ is the only perspective that we have. And so when someone puts another painting in front of you, when, when someone else paints another image or picture for you, and, you, and they're, they're forcing that into your, your line of vision, you got to move away from that. You, that, that's the wrong course. That's the wrong direction to take. You've got to follow where you see Jesus. And you fix your eyes on him, and you look to him as the author and the perfecter of your faith, and you don't go any other way. You don't look in any other direction. All right? That's why every single Sunday I'm going to ask somebody, well, not every Sunday, but almost every Sunday. Sometimes David and I, share the gospel so clearly inside the message, we don't feel that we need that other person to, to come and, and share it. But all, almost all of our Sundays, we have someone come up here and share the gospel with you because we will ever be centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was, that's part of what makes us a pretty decent church. And so this morning, John Warden, 
the artist is going to come and share the gospel with you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bill. Uh, Bill shared a little bit about uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Well, verse 1 before that. let me help you. Verse uh, 1 before that says, Therefore we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. So take everything off that hinders you, the sin that entangles, and run the race set before you. That word race comes from the Greek word agon. And that's where we get the word in our English language for agony. You see, there's something that the writer of Hebrews knew about life. That the journey of life there will be moments that are filled with agony, mm-hmm. with pain, with suffering, with rejection, with unmet expectations, frustrations, shame. But you see, Jesus Christ, he ran that race. And not only did mm-hmm. he run Amen. it, he won it. Yes. yes. He pressed in to the stresses mm-hmm. and the pressures. He withheld all of the frustrations and the injustices. He conquered the pressures and rejection, and he defeated death for our benefit and for his glory. Praise be to Jesus Christ. And you may be sitting here this morning thinking, I don't have a lot of hope in my life. The the joy and all of the things that, that Bill talked about, that that's not That's not present in my life. I've tried to go my own way. I've tried to to run the race my way with my energy and my strength. I I need hope. I need joy. I need healing. You need a Savior. Amen. And Jesus Christ is your Savior. You see, Jesus, he went to the cross. He was crucified. He died. He was buried. And on the third day, he didn't stay in the grave. He rose from the grave. He was resurrected for you. And that is the joy and the power and the incredibleness Mm -hmm. of the gospel. There's no better day than today. If you have not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, if you have not said, Lord, I want to put my trust and my faith in you and you alone, and I want you to journey with me through the agonies and the joys of this life, that my life might be surrendered for your glory. If that's you this morning, I want to invite you today to take advantage of this opportunity. As the worship band plays a a song here at the end, there will be some folks that will come up and they want to pray with you. They want to pray with you. They want to share with you the hope of Jesus Christ. And if you just have something going on today that's just really hard that you need prayer for, feel free to come up and take advantage of this moment. Yes. God is waiting for you in this moment to come to him, to God be the glory. Amen.